Yeah, so Psalm 85, verse 8 says, I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones, but let them not turn back to folly. So he switches from us in verse 4 through 7 to more personal. It says, I will hear what God the Lord will say. In 4 through 7 it says, Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not yourself revive us again, that your people may re rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. And then verse 8, he says, I will hear what the Lord God will say. The Lord desires us to walk in fellowship with him. You know, in our age, all us Christians, he desires us to walk in fellowship with him, but he also desires each individual to walk in fellowship with him. I will hear what the Lord will say. He has an individual relationship with each one, which is encouraging, isn't it? That God has an individual relationship with you. So because he's God, he can do that. A person can't do that. We, you know, How many good friends do you have? Not very many. Good close. How many good, close friends do you have? Yeah, uh, Psalm 85. 85. Yeah. Yeah, so, but the Lord can have a, <clears throat> a very intimate relationship with each individual, while we can have an intimate relationship with very few. But he desires us to walk in fellowship with him. So for the psalmist, that meant following the Mosaic Law. That's how we, the psalmist would walk in fellowship with God. And we follow the law of Christ, right? Which is basically to love God supremely and to love others as we would love ourselves. That is the law of Christ, and it's spelled out in more detail in the letters or the epistles to the church so in verse 9, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. So when you think of glory, I mean, that is when God actually shows up, isn't it? So what that makes me think of is John fourteen twenty one. Uh, in our case. And when these things happen, I get very excited. John 14, 21 says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, now that is not how you get saved. That is how you walk in fellowship with God after you have been saved. Um, but anyway, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I myself will love him and will disclose myself to him. So Jesus will disclose himself to you. He, he will make it be known that he is there. You know, in your life, something will happen. You're like, oh my goodness, the Lord is there. And, you know, that is 
akin to the glory of God showing up in your life. And that comes when you walk with him. So verse 10, loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. So grace, access through faith, brings many blessings. Truth springs from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its produce. So I think that's agricultural prosperity for Israel. It's interesting, Israel has agricultural prosperity even now as they're being gathered in unbelief. So they, most of them don't believe in their Messiah. But the Lord is still granting them this agricultural prosperity. Then verse 13, righteousness will go before him and will make his footsteps into a way. So if you walk in fellowship with the Lord, that is righteousness. It will clear a path for the Lord to work in your life. Anything else about Psalm 85? Any insights? So now we're going to skip some verses again. Skip some Psalms. So again, Psalm 8611 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Isn't that what we want? We want to learn the Lord's ways, and we want to walk in his truth. And fear or reverence his name. So as we, we obey him because we respect him. Psalm 87.2, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. So the Lord has a special place in his heart for Jerusalem. So that is why we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You know, on YouTube, there's a guy who comes on from the IDF every day and gives a report. I don't, I don't know what organization puts this on. It might be the IDF. <laughs> and at the end, he always asks people to pray for them and to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So yeah, the Lord has a special place in his heart for Jerusalem. Then Psalm 88, 13 but I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Is that how we work? Yeah, this is our devotions, right? Our morning devotions, we do some devotions and we pray. That's kind of the how we roll. And then we look for the Lord to answer those prayers. Okay, so now we're to Psalm 89. Psalm 89 is a masculine of Ethan the Ezraite. And Psalm 89, an overview of it is it's a, it's a retelling of the Davidic covenant and the fact that it is an unconditional, eternal covenant. And then they're wondering... What's going wrong? <laughs> um, 
So anyway, that's uh, verses 1 through 18. It's called Sing sing of the Lord's Great Love. So I'll read that, verses 1 through 18. I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said, loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord, who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? A God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all those who are around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the sea, when its waves rise, you still them. You yourself crushed Rahab, like one who is slain. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours. The world and all it contains, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon shout for joy at your name. You have a strong arm, your hand is mighty, your right hand is exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all the day, and by your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, and by your favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, and our King to the Holy One of Israel. Okay, so verse 1 and 2 is praising God's love and faithfulness. I was saying of the loving kindness of the Lord, that's the Hebrew word hesed. To all generations I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said, loving kindness will be built up forever in the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. So the Lord is reliable. There's no one more reliable than him. Then verses 3 and 4 speak of a covenant. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. So that is the Davidic covenant. And it's to all generations forever. It's an eternal, unconditional covenant. Did David do anything to receive this covenant? No, not really. I mean, he was he was out tending sheep as the youngest son when he was chosen as king. Um, and it just, you know, the Lord for some reason chose him. It doesn't say why. And then, you know, after he became king and he had multiple successes um, and he decided he wanted to build a house for the Lord, then no, don't do that, but I will build your house. And that's when he received the Davidic covenant. 
was that his throne would not end. It would be eternal. So in the Abrahamic covenant, you know, it has multiple sub-covenants, and all of them are unconditional. All of them are eternal. One is the land covenant. The other is the seed covenant, which is the Davidic covenant. And the other is the covenant of blessing, which is the new covenant, which is what we participate in as the church. When we trust in Jesus, we enter into the new covenant, which includes the Holy Spirit coming to indwell us. That's a covenant of blessing. But this is the covenant of ruling of the of the earth. Verses 5 through 8 speak of God's superiority over the angels. So verse 5 says, The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. Okay, the holy ones are angels. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? So that's in heaven. Who among the sons of the mighty which is also angels, is like the Lord. They are sons of the mighty because they are sons of God directly, because every angel is created by God. So he's like Adam. All the angels are like Adam. They're direct creations of God. A God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all those who are around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Lord. Your faithfulness also surrounds you. So God's superior over the angels. Then verses 9 through 13 speak of God's rule over nature. And that's kind of what you see in the last some of the last chapters of Job. God rules over nature. Verse 9, you rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You yourself crushed Rahab like one who is slain. You scatter your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all it contains, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon shout for joy at your name. You have a strong arm, your hand is mighty, your right hand is exalted. So, you know, that discusses God's preeminence over nature and Jesus demonstrated that when he stilled the storm when he walked on water that he has authority over nature um, but part of this talks about in verse 10 you yourself crushed Rahab like one who was slain what is Rahab yeah, this this is uh, like a nickname for Egypt. Yeah, this is like a nick. Yeah, you yourself crushed Rahab. We know that Rahab, the individual Rahab, was not crushed. She was protected. Uh, and uh, but Rahab is uh, is another name for Egypt. And remember what happened to Egypt after. They let the Israelites go. Remember, Pharaoh changed his mind and chased after them. He said, oh, why did I do that? Let me go get him." And he chased them into the Red Sea. 
So this is Exodus 14:21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak, while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. So that's Rahab being crushed like one who is slain. In verse 12 it says, The north and the south you have created them. Tabor and Hermon shout for joy at your name. So Tabor and Hermon are mountains, one on the west and one on the east side of the Jordan. So that verse is kind of speaking of the four points of the compass. It says the north and the south, Tabor I, I don't remember which one is east and which one is west. Tabor and Hermon shout for your name. But those are the west and east points of the compass. So 14 through 18 is God's power is tempered by righteousness and justice. He's not a tyrant. So righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne Loving kindness and truth go before you. How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all the day, and by your righteousness they are exalted. You are the glory of their strength, and by your favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord and our King to the Holy One of Israel. So the Lord is extremely powerful, but he does not use that power unrighteously. Okay, so we're to section D already. We're doing good. Section D is the covenant of David, and that is verses 19 through 37. Somebody want to read that? Verses 19 through 37? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay. That is powerful. So verse 19, once you spoke in vision to your godly ones and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. So David was not elected like we elect leaders. He was chosen by God. Uh, when he was a teenager, he was chosen by God. Although Israel had to recognize him as their king, okay? 
And the same is true of Jesus. Jesus was chosen by God, which is funny to say because he is God. <laughs> but Israel had to recognize him as their king, and that was their failure when he came the first time. They did not recognize him. But he's the one chosen. And uh, for David, he was recognized by Israel in two stages. So after Saul died, remember Saul was killed, and he was killed because he, the Lord killed him because he refused to uphold the Mosaic Covenant. He refused to obey what the Lord told him to do. And so he lost his life. Now, he was a saved person. Saul was a saved person. He, we'll see Saul in heaven, I'm sure. But he was not an obedient person. And so he lost out on some rewards there. But in second, after Saul died, then David went to Hebron, or Hebron. And verse 4, it says, Then the men of Judah came, and there anointed David king over the house of Judah. Okay, so that was the first stage of David becoming king. The tribe, single tribe of Judah, which David belonged to, recognized him as their king. And he ruled over Hebron for seven years. And there was a war between Saul, Saul's family, and David for seven years until something happened with Abner, who's Saul's general, where Saul's son, who is a theoretically the king over Israel, although he wasn't recognized as such, Abner had taken Saul's concubine. And that was kind of a sign of power. You know, it wasn't just a sexual thing. It was a sign of power because it was the king's concubine, so he was taking the taking over the country. And the uh, Ishbosheth, who was the king's son, was complaining about this, and this made Abner angry. And he said, "Well, I'm going to turn the all of Israel over to David." That in that case, so so the Lord orchestrated all this. The Lord uses the free will choices of His creations of His humans to do his will. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 3, and of course, before they made David king, Joab, who was David's commander, he was a violent guy and he murdered Abner. Because Abner, in a, in a battle, had killed his brother. So what Abner did was legit. You know, it was during a battle, and he killed his brother. He didn't want to kill his brother. He said, stop following me, or I'm going to have to kill you. And he wouldn't stop following him, and so he did <laughs> kill him. And, but Joab then murdered him for that reason. And David mourned over Abner, who was the Israel commander, who's the you know, the commander of his enemy, so so called Saul. 
And all Israel thought that was very noble. And so, in 2 Samuel 5, verse 3, it says, So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. Then they anointed David king over Israel. So David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So David was not elected. He was chosen for this by God. But Israel had to recognize him as king, and they did. And in the tribulation, at the very end of the tribulation period, Jesus has already been chosen by God. But at that time, Israel will recognize Jesus as their king and will call for him. So in verse 23, it says, But I shall crush his adversaries before him, the Davidic king, and strike those who hate him. Well, historically, we know that the Lord did that for David. And that also was in 2 Samuel. But chapter 8 of 2 Samuel is a listing of all David's victories. 2 Samuel 8, verse 1, Now it came after, after this it came about that David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took control of the chief city from the hand of the Philistines. Verse 2, he defeated Moab and measured them with the line, making them lie down on the ground. And he measured two lines to put to death, one to death, and one full line to keep alive. So he killed two-thirds of them. And the Moabites became servants to David, bringing tribute. Verse 3, then David defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, he went to restore his rule at the river. So David had a lot of victories. In verse 14, he put garrisons in Edom. In all Edom, he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became servants to David. And the Lord helped David wherever he went. And that is Psalm 89, verse 23. But I shall crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. Then the Lord promised a father-son relationship with the Davidic king. Verse 26, he will cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. You know, each one of us has that same relationship as the Davidic king with God. You know, somewhere, I think it's in Romans, somewhere, it says we're, we can say Abba, father. Abba means daddy. Uh, because we are in Jesus when we believe in him. And so he has a relationship like that with the Father, and we do too, because we are united with him. Then verse 29 says, David's throne is eternal, so I will establish his descendants forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. But then, verse 30, if his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments. So what, what is that? That is the Mosaic covenant. That is the Mosaic law, Ten Commandments, and all the commandments that go around that. If they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression 
with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. So there will be punishment for breaking the Mosaic law. And did the kings of Israel, or Judah, break the Mosaic covenant? Many, many times, right? Out of 20 of the kings of Judah, only eight were considered good in the Bible. And the Bible does not rate kings based on their economic record, like we do in the United States, or based on whether there was war in the Middle East or not, or, you know, for the poll numbers. A king was considered good or bad in Israel based on their keeping of the Mosaic law or not. They kept the Mosaic law, you know, not perfectly. None of them did it perfectly. They were a good king if they did not, or if they ignored it, or if they were idolaters, then they were bad kings. One of the Proverbs said, right, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. You know, and the United States has started out with righteousness. We started by pilgrims, and uh, now it's full of sin. <laughs> it's chocked full of sin, and it's a disgrace, you know. So we hang on as lights. So verse 30 through 32 is an indication kind of what's going on. In the next uh, section, we're going to find out that, you know, the, all this sounds great. You know, this is the loving kindness of the Lord. You know, he takes care of us. Everything's wonderful. This Davidic covenant is eternal. Um, it can't be undone. Because he says, after saying he will punish them, he says, but I will not break off my loving kindness from him, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. So this psalmist is writing after the Babylonian captivity or maybe during the Babylonian captivity. I'm not sure. And what happened in the Babylonian captivity to the king? His rule was taken away. Has it returned? As of today? No. <laughs> it has not. The Davidic king has been non-functional since 586 B.C., so I'll read, this is uh, section E, an appeal for God to remember the covenant. Remember, this is an eternal covenant which has been in abeyance since 586 B.C. Now, the line has persisted. The line persisted down, you know, into Joseph and Mary. They are descendants of David. But they were poor. They were not rulers. Joseph was no ruler. He was poverty-stricken. And then they had a son that was never, ever going to die. That was Jesus. 
So this is verse 38. But you have cast off and rejected. You have been full of wrath against your anointed. You have spurned the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown in the dust. You have broken down all his walls. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. All who pass along the way plunder him. He has become a reproach to his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You also turned back the edge of his sword and have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have shortened the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember what my span of life is, for what vanity you have created all the sons of men. What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Where are your former loving kindnesses, O Lord, which you swore to David in your faithfulness? Remember, O Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples, with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. Then blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. So that last verse is the end of book three. So that's another doxology, blessing the Lord. But that section is basically, Lord, we have this eternal covenant and now everything is trashed. Because it says, verse 38, but you have cast off and rejected. You have been full of wrath against your anointed. You have spurned the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown in the dust. So you need to go back to verse 30. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. I don't think they realized how severe that punishment would be because that punishment was a Babylonian siege and captivity, and they have not recovered from it. So, yeah, the psalmist was surprised at the severity of the rod. It broke the rulership of the Davidic kings. The return to rulership still has not happened. But now we know who the eternal Davidic king will be. And so he, um, so it's not that an eternal line of kings will go on, but a line of kings went to Jesus, who is eternal. And that's how it is an eternal kingship. And Jesus is not a king right now. He's acting as the high priest of the church. He's the high priest of the church at God's right hand. He's never described as a king to the church. He's described as the bridegroom of the church. You know, like our husband. Uh, to be, her husband to come, and, and uh, something else that I can't remember. It'll come to me after it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> but it's not the king. He's not the king to us. Um, so anyway, then the psalm ends with a prayer of restoration. The psalmist is is asking the Lord, how long will this last, O Lord? Verse 46. 
Will you hide yourself forever? Well, not forever, but it will seem like forever. It's been 2,000, almost 2,600 years right now. So that seems like forever. And he says, remember what my span of life is. Well, he went through his life without seeing it. And maybe we will, too, go through our life without seeing it. But eventually we will see it. And that's what we look forward to. So, Lord, we thank you for this uh, psalm of David, which goes over the Davidic covenant and helps us to look forward to the coming uh, kingship of Jesus. So we pray that as the bride of Christ, that you would help us to honor him while we're waiting. In Jesus' name, amen.